David will go right into you, so. Oh, all right. Two more. Sorry. I do have two more. I'm announcing. There's Elna. Okay. Hey, Jane. Yeah, who? Oh. Come on, too. All righty. So we're going to get started here. Um, it's... What? Oh, okay. So we're going to Yeah, sure. She's been connecting for a while. She can kind of jump in one hour. All right, well, Maybe welcome. Can try dialing it. JT's in there, yeah. Are you controlling chat? Can you suggest that to her? Absolutely. Sometimes the I mean, dial-in is more effective than internet. I, I mean, it's not a, the official, <clears throat> so you can kind of jump in whatever, so. <clears throat> I figure we'll get started, take as much time as we can out of this hour. Um, so, welcome everybody to the, uh, <laughs> the August 7th, I want to say, meeting of Multimodal Transportation Commission. This is kind of a special session because we're having, I guess we're still calling it your turn, where we try to invite representatives from the various neighborhood associations to, to kind of discuss stuff with us and get a little bit deeper into transportation things. In this particular edition, we are talking about the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program of the NTMP. Um, it's been around for a couple of years. Just general meeting notes. So this is our study session. We usually just sit around this table. It's fairly open-ended. There's not a lot of, uh, who is it, Robert's rules of meeting. We just try to have an open conversation, geek out on some of the details, try to figure out some next steps if that's where things are going. Um, I am currently masking because I'm coming off of a cold. I shouldn't be too contagious, but just in case. So if anybody can't hear me particularly well, let me know. I'm used to projecting, but I'm not used to being muffled. So. Let me know if I'm unclear and I can try to repeat myself if need be. Hold that line closer to you, Nick. Really? Okay. Thank you. Must be really muffled. Okay, so we're gonna start off with introductions and then move on into a quick presentation from Dave about Traffic Control 101. So I'll, I'll get started. Um, Before we get started, oh, yeah. we, gotta, we gotta go through these quick meeting That's right. rules Ground for everyone. Um, so thanks everyone uh, for joining the meeting tonight. Uh, we have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. The meeting is being re recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking, if you are online. Uh, the chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to staff. Um, unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This will allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen when uh, you will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send us a chat. Um, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And turn okay. it over to Nick. Cool. So let's do quick introductions around the table. Say your name, who you're representing, um, which I guess is also going to be which neighborhood you live in, most likely. Um, I think that's probably good enough to start. So I'm Nick Kuzmiak. I've been on the Multimodal Transportation Commission for four-ish years now. I'm the current chair of it, and I live in the East Lawrence neighborhood, but I used to live in Pinckney. So that's me. Charlie? Um, my name is Charlie Bryan, and I'm a member of the Multimodal Transportation Commission, and I live in the Quail Run neighborhood. Uh, my name is Ed Aidlot. And I'm with the multi uh, MMTC. There you go. There you go. Uh, I'm a new a new member, and I live in West Lawrence. So that's it. Hi, Charlie Sedlock. I'm with uh, Old West Lawrence uh, Group, and uh, been participating with Dave and his staff and MMTC on um, the uh, uh, traffic calming program there. 
I'm Pat Collette, and I'm commissioner for MMT, with MMTC. I've been on for uh, about a year and a half now, and I live in the Pioneer Ridge neighborhood. Hi, good evening, everyone. Jake Baldwin. I'm an engineer with NSO. Hi, I'm Lisa Harris-Friedman, and I represent the Barker neighborhood. Holly Joyce, I represent Schweigler neighborhood. Josh Spence, I represent Pinkney Neighborhood Association. Phil Collison with the East Lawrence Neighborhood Association. Michael Allman with the Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. And Gary Weber with Sunset Hill Neighborhood Association. And this is Dave Cronin, city engineer, in case you, <laughs> I don't know if you, if you caught your turn. We have a couple folks online too, uh, Barry. Um, yeah, Barry Shalinski, I'm president of East Lawrence Neighborhood Association. And Hillary. Yeah, hi, uh, my name's Hillary Carter. I'm a commissioner on the MMTC. Good to see you all. Yep. And JT, we'll catch you later for public comment. I have a couple people to make sure that I don't skip it, so. All right, I think that's everybody. So Dave, you wanna start off with the intro slides? Yeah, um, so we, we did attach uh, a memo um, to the study session. Just kind of gave an overview of uh, the neighborhood traffic management program um, and some of, some of the work that's been done um, over the last couple years. Um, most everyone's familiar about this, the speed limit change and um, lowering the speed limit on residential streets to 25 mile, miles per hour. Um, we've acquired equipment to collect data um, go ahead and get speed and volume data. So we've uh, used some of the funding to do that. Um, we uh, did a public outreach and education campaign a couple years ago, and we're following up on uh, uh, procuring some more um, stickers and yard signs for that process for that uh, part here this year. Um, and then we're doing some targeted enforcement as well as part of the program. Um, and tonight, I think we're kind of want to talk about the program and maybe get into some of the uh, a little discussion on the process for the neighborhood uh, applications and um, obviously you know for, for those of you that have been, been familiar with the project we've been doing in Old West Lawrence over the last couple of years we uh, worked with the neighborhood to uh, um, get data um, implement temporary traffic calming devices get data um, we did another round of temporary installations and now we're moving forward with uh, a project to permanently construct uh, the devices here um, with money that we have in this year's budget and then uh, proposed for next year as well. Um, and then I would say uh, historically the last couple of years we've had $300,000 in the program. Um, next year, the proposed budget has 200,000, so there's a, a a little bit of a decrease in the overall budget. Um, um, but with that, I think um, you know as we're talking about uh, the process we went through with the old West Lawrence neighborhood, I think um, uh, it was it was it was a good process. I think we see some uh, we've identified some. Uh, areas of improvement that we could uh, work on to help you know define the scope uh, better early on uh, make sure we have a good uh, clear process for for community engagement um, and um, that those are a couple things that uh, we may look at to kind of improve upon the program going forward and then I think we've also identified the need to 
um, to look at other uh, maybe isolated locations where we get traffic calming requests that don't really fit, you know, a neighborhood-wide study that we've uh, seen through uh, reporting to our re reports and um, comments through our uh, uh, online traffic safety uh, webpage where uh, traffic calming is desired in areas that really don't affect other adjacent streets and that, you know, wouldn't really fit the program. Um, so, uh, you know, stepping back a little bit, the programs we're looking at a neighborhood-wide program in the past, um, four plus years ago, it was an individual street basis, and um, so the the goal is to kind of look at you know the bigger picture because um, we know that uh, installing traffic calming on streets could affect adjacent streets, and um, anyway, so that's kind of where we're at, and we uh, had drafted some just brief revisions to, of things to consider for moving forward with uh, the program on the agenda. But um, with that, that's kind of what I have to say. And then I'll just I'm here to listen to the neighborhoods and see what feedback you have. Yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty good background of what's going on. And I think it, it, it sort of encapsulates and explains what I feel has been part of the I don't know, part of the core, sometimes misunderstanding of the neighborhood traffic management program, because it's so broad, because that's the point to kind of attack bad traffic from every angle, that I think maybe people don't realize that there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's not just the stuff that we all saw in, in Old West Lawrence, right? It's the target enforcement, the data collection, the signs in everybody's yards, and the speed limit signs. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's a multi-pronged effort. And a lot of the kind of citywide stuff has pretty much already happened. So at this point, we're now down to the neighborhood scale stuff. And um, I think, like Dave was saying, one of the things that we are interested in is, you know, going forward, do we want to stick to the original plan, which is do a single neighborhood at a time, you know, direct consultant and or city, probably mostly city uh, resources into a single neighborhood, do it for a year, make sure we do it right, and then move on to the next one. At that rate, we may not get to every neighborhood ever, right? So that's that's a trick, but it also means that for the neighborhood receiving the pilot and the upgrades, you know, it's maybe the better situation for that neighborhood. The other way forward is maybe, like you were saying, the hybrid approach of tackling uh, acute issues in other neighborhoods that maybe wouldn't otherwise qualify for a full area-wide plan. So we're not entirely sure what the best route is forward, and that's why we have you guys here. Another issue was how to apply for the traffic, um, sorry, for the traffic calming pilots. So I think for the first one, it was only Old West Lawrence and maybe East were the only ones who applied for it. No, it wasn't Lawrence. Maybe then. It was North Lawrence. North Lawrence, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So going forward, we were kind of wondering as well, was there any reason that your neighborhood didn't apply, if that's the case? Or if they did, was there some struggles or barriers or difficulties with the application that could be improved upon? Um, any feedback in that regard would be particularly helpful, I think, because there's a balancing act to making things a low barrier to entry in terms of making sure that we get not only the neighborhoods that are very well organized and connected, but also the ones who just need help and maybe have a couple of uh, strong-willed individuals. But we also don't want to make it such a low barrier to entry that we get kind of half-baked proposals that don't have a lot of broad support in the neighborhood, which could be an issue as well. So I'd like to hear from you guys. Um, Maybe, yeah, let's, let's just get started. <laughs> um, Holly Joyce Schwegler. So 
uh, when before Old West Lawrence was in place and you had started that was when I heard about it and I can't say exactly who but it made it seem like there was kind of a, a list going mm. so Old West Lawrence was going to be and then East Lawrence was mentioned mm. and then Schweigler we kind of broke down to just um, individual and wanted to get so maybe the criteria I, I guess maybe I wasn't sure even what it was for mm. an entire neighborhood scope that might be uh, I don't know which of staff would be able to explain how the application was distributed I wasn't I'm not familiar with how that happened. Um, yeah, I can't. I, I think we put it, pushed it out to the different neighborhood representatives. Mm -hmm. it's, it's been a few years, and I wasn't part of that piece of the process. But um, we had received two applications, and um, basically uh, uh, ended up selecting Old West Lawrence as the pilot because they had put together a pretty thorough application and had an internal neighborhood team traffic team that was um, that, that was working on it so for the first project we th thought that that st structure would would be beneficial but um, yeah but but going forward that's I mean how the application process and how we choose the neighborhood that's um, needs to be something that we think about there wasn't any data that was used with this first uh, project that we did and so that's something that may need to be considered going forward. I was just going to add, Dave, I think the original process might have been interpreted as an individual effort, but you had to show some support within the neighborhood. So it wasn't like you had to apply as a neighborhood association. Right. You had to apply and then show support. The support of it. So. That could be confusing, maybe. Um, Josh and then Gary. Actually, sorry, quick sidebar. Um, as I've learned in facilitating my, my own housing association meetings recently, I'm going to do my best to kind of create a cue as it happens of people who are raising their hands. Everybody who's sort of in a back and forth conversation, I'll kind of let that go. But if I see somebody's hand up, I'm going to try to slide them in as best as I can. So if you have your hands raised, I will acknowledge that I've seen you. And I'll do my best to kind of slot you in. So we'll see how it goes. Josh, you're up. <laughs> uh, Josh Spence, <clears throat> neighborhood. Uh, one of the things for us, when we found out was uh, for our timeline, it was like less than two days when it was due. <laughs> Do and then we also we just didn't understand the process of the application or how to get it because we it was like the information there was like a lot of information that just didn't was not was conflicting that we received so it made it very hard for us to know whether to move forward or not because we knew we had areas that in our neighborhood that really could use a lot of effective traffic management but we just didn't really know how to go about it. Okay. Um, we got the notice and read through the materials and formed a subcommittee, and it seemed all very clear how to apply. And we started on the process, and then we quickly realized that we didn't have a good idea where the, where the most important thing to deal with. We weren't going we weren't to just say, well, we need help. We, we, it was... The application actually asked you to outline a place that you wanted the money to be spent. Hmm. So we sent out, so we spent the next, so we didn't apply because we couldn't really justify sending an application when we didn't know 
which areas were the most problematic in our neighborhood. We, we, you know, and, and I think that what the experience in Old West Lawrence shows that that's extremely important that you know that you know what your neighborhood agrees on are the most important things, and we didn't have that. So we spent we spent four months. We did a, a survey asking people to suggest areas of concern, and we got 15 areas of concern, and then we did a prioritization study to find out which were the most important, and we got 60 responses and identified two of the most important. And four months later, we're ready to apply. So we were planning to do the second year, but of course it was delayed and such. And when the next pilot come, comes out, we're ready to apply. As far as the process goes, I have absolutely no, see no problem with it, except that, except that it seems a little strange that, that you would apply with no data. I actually was gonna raise that question to Dave and Jake, although I don't know if this is in Dustin's arena or not. I feel like there was uh, there was some sort of survey, like a see and report various traffic issues, or like, hey, I see people speeding here. Wasn't there some kind of tool back in the early days of the NTMP where people could kind of self-report um, and almost generate a data set? Is that still available? Is that information that was used in the Old West Lawrence pilot? It's still available. Yeah, okay. we have a what we call the traffic safety concerns webpage. Okay. That's what, what it's called. But it's where individuals can go in and if a uh, speeding complaint or failure to yield and basically pinpoint the location. So uh, the MSO engineering staff can see that, uh, the police department uh, can see that. And so we've used that primarily to identify enforcement locations where you have hot spots. So if we've got you know, several complaints in one area, um, we've used that to, for the targeted enforcement. Um, that could also be used as part of the uh, program, but some of it may be subjective. You know, if someone's speeding through the neighborhood, it's not you know, <coughs> what, yeah. uh, what speed are they going, but it's some of that maybe perception. Uh, but it, it does give us a good indication of some uh, issues for enforcement. So that's kind of an interesting thread then. So Gary, it sounds like the uh, like the issue you were raising almost sounds like a barrier that Sunset Hills was kind of unable to overcome. Like you knew there was a general issue, but you couldn't point out exactly where, nor were there maybe the resources to do so. So I'm wondering if, could we make the application process a little bit simpler for the neighborhoods that you know don't have the resources of an Elna or an Old West Lawrence to be able to say like, we know there's an issue. I mean, know you guys have some sort of data and there's you know collected crash info. Would that be enough to at least get us started? And then if there's a consultant on board that can help identify like, well, based on how your neighborhood's laid out, we are pretty sure this is going to be a problem here. Could that be done as a way to kind of shortcut <coughs> the application process? And I guess um, from your guys point of view, is that something that'd be doable, I guess? I think that, uh, to me, uh, that uh, what sounds like it would be doable. Okay. I'm also wondering if, the, if it's possible, oh, sorry, Lisa had also. No, you're okay. Um, yep. um, if it's possible maybe to publish a report uh, that would share that information that's been collected at the neighborhood level. That could be really insightful for the neighborhoods themselves to recognize that maybe they have a problem they didn't know they had. Um, if people are reporting it to the city but not sharing yeah. it with their neighborhood. Sounds like land would be a good con conduit for that, probably, right? I mean, the city that, would just publish it. Yeah. Assuming that everything can be geocoded, mm -hmm. then publish a report that okay. shows incidents reported by each neighborhood. Okay. I like that idea. And I like 
not having a part of land because land doesn't represent every citizen mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. but the city. Does. Yeah. I just mean like still publicly available, but push it through land as like a brief, you know, brief segment at a land meeting, kind of like how transit and parking shows up sometimes or planning a development. Be a staff report to us. Yeah. Okay. Lisa, did you have something else to add? And then Charlie, you're next. I was just going to give a perspective on the Barker neighborhood. <laughs> we were very interested in transportation issues and had done a study on it with the city <laughs> and AARP. Um, and we also had applied for funding for traffic calming on Lenard Street, which had passed all the hoops at the time, was ready to fund, and then was shelved because it changed the process in the city. Right. Um, around that time, um, we had a change in leadership in our neighborhood association, and for whatever reason, the, the, the group just sort of fell away. Mm. COVID didn't help, but um, we haven't had an active association in many years. Mm -hmm. So probably um, someone got information about the, uh, the traffic uh, calming, the study that, that could have been done, and, mm -hmm. but it never got shared with citizens, and so it didn't move ahead. So that is mm -hmm. a, um, a weakness of our neighborhood associations mm -hmm. in town, that if you don't have a strong leader who can communicate well with your members, things get yeah, and I think that's particularly a problem for places that really don't even have a representative at all. I mean, at least here you are representing Barker, but there are plenty of places that have traffic issues that have really no representation, which is really tough to reach them. So right. I'm not sure what to do about that, honestly. <laughs> Charlie, you got something to bring up? Sure, sure. So um, just wanted to offer up a few of our comments that um, may may help address some of, some of these things because... Uh, We've been at it for a while. So uh, first of all, just to acknowledge, uh, we really appreciate the MMTC, uh, the, the staff with the city. Um, we've worked um, pretty hard over the last two years as a group and have several hundred, if not thousands of man hours in, in this. And so hopefully some of this can help uh, ease the journey forward to really uh, get the city more toward complete and zero harm streets and infrastructure because at the end of the day that's what you know we're all here for and that's what's going to draw folks to Lawrence and, and continue the journey of the city when we're out trying to draw talent from Chicago and Denver and Boston uh, the kids are much I just wanted to know if my check would be cashed or, or I had some money to get in the bank and they have much better questions and their questions are can I walk to work can I bike to work how safe is it and it's uh, pretty cool to see those kinds of questions and this is you know the marketplace speaking um, and so anyway uh, and, and and really I'm speaking on behalf of the neighborhood some of my comments are, are, are a little more personal but the folks on the committee we generally agree on most everything but just so you guys know two years of experience we really want to improve the process increase safety and really increase the ROI and speed for the city because we have a lot of folks around this table, and um, the speed um, is not going to move fast enough to generate the safety that all the neighborhoods want. So first, I think it's very important to establish the budget, whether it's a neighborhood or a specific project. The budget, um, also to do some past project wins and fails and timelines with, with either the neighborhood or whoever 
is, is applying so that they can understand up front what, what, um, what has happened in the past and, and really realistically, you know, you know, what can happen because, you know, um, we're a little vocal in Old West Lawrence, and Dave can tell you we kind of push and prod and, and do this and that. And, but we didn't know some of that stuff, right? And so, in absence of that, I tend to push. Okay, um, gather data prior to scoping the project. That's always tough. It's money, but there are new remote sensing technologies and other things. Um, it'll really help you. We did surveys and some of our folks really thought their street was the most dangerous in the neighborhood. It turned out to be fairly safe. We had other folks that thought their street was the safest, and it turned out to be much more dangerous than they thought, and data really, really helps. But that's always costly. I think with the remote sensing, there's some real, really fantastic opportunities out there. Dave's much more knowledgeable on, on those things and the vendors than, than I am. But it can really allow for a data-driven project instead of a who's the loudest person in the room, even within your own neighborhood, because there are some folks that just do not realize that as you're driving safety, um, that might be an extra two seconds to their drive to their house, and that's you know kind of the end of the world. But once they see the data, it really helps them understand <laughs> that that um, they uh, uh, can increase safety and drive a little slower or a little more cautiously. Um, establish the success criteria for speeds and pedestrian and bicycle safety up front. Um, you know, most folks in here, I, I work in the industrial side and safety and mining and, and waste, and so we're dealing with a lot of traffic things, so I'm somewhat knowledgeable uh, in it. But, um, you know, everybody needs to understand what those success criteria are. We know what success criteria are in many aspects of our life, but we don't understand, um, you know, the 85th percentile. And I have a different feeling on 85th percentile than, than Dave does, but uh, we need to have these success criteria up front so we know what we're going to do with that data. Some of these, my comments are a little out of order. I was trying to get my notes together over the weekend and was traveling, didn't have time. Um, staff. Uh, completed walk-arounds with us, as did uh, some, uh, some, if not all, of the commissioners. Uh, those were very handy to see things in the third dimension, uh, especially when you're attack. We were attacking a you know traditional grid system neighborhood. This wasn't, you know, a, you know cul-de-sacs and things like that. So it was pretty. Uh, it, it was a systemic system, or more of a system. So those were very handy. Um, pick uh, days that were a little cooler than we did. Uh, I think I think um, doing the built devices are, are great. Um, they can be very expensive. I was in that industry as well. It's very expensive with concrete and everything. Um, anything we would advocate any kind of psycho perceptive devices that are creative that still meet you know all of the uh, all of the the guidelines, um, whether it's paint, uh, delineators. Uh, that's a way to accelerate safety for more neighborhoods and to get more projects concurrently. Uh, communications, planning, and execution. As a neighborhood, we've done a lot of uh, communications, and um, uh, we're not professionals at communications, but we have a lot of folks that are fairly good at it. Um, it would be more helpful to have communications from the city 
uh, not engineering they're very busy but there are communications professionals within the city it would be handy to to have more of the communication driven by the city than by the neighborhood association on on some of these meetings Continuous improvement. I think during pilots, there's a real opportunity to continuous improve. We saw very quickly some of the devices were working just spot on and some of them needed to be adjusted. And with pilots, you're literally talking about a, you know, a Makita and a drill and a few things and, and changing the geometry. Um, and then when you're seeing that, we think that, that the, those quick and dirty continuous improvement opportunities should be capitalized. Um, in terms of projects, I do think that in the, all the neighborhoods where there are existing um, traffic calming devices, um, when I drive around, I think most of them are real wins, they're real successes. And some of them, I'm like, you really need to further improve this to make it even safer. And so there may be something when you're delineating or scoping your projects, you may say, what does my neighborhood really need? Well, we got that one over there. Do we need another? We might need to go back and improve that one that's not working as well as you think. Uh, we talked about utilizing third-party remote traffic market, uh, uh, monitoring to uh, get more data. Um, process mapping, I do think uh, you know having a good just basic process diagram right up front, we'd be help, ha happy to help map anything. Dave, we do do a lot of that internally. Uh, just so folks can understand, where, which step am I at? I forgot where we are in the process. Are we here? If yes, this. If no, that. Uh, very basic. Um, the speed trigger benchmark, um, uh, I actually think the folks should be going, you know, 75, 80% of the traffic should be going the speed limit or lower or you got a problem with your speed limit. And so in Old West Lawrence, it's 20. Uh, neighborhood wanted 20. We can't enforce that with enforcement, so it really needs to be uh, by using devices, I think. And so, uh, you know, I, I really think that, that we should aim for a, a little more rigid. Uh, on highways, it's a much different thing. You can do a lot of things on the Autobahn, we can do a lot of things on, on I 70, but neighborhoods, we're talking about, you know, families and kids and elderly and people in walkers and, and, and wheelchairs and bicyclists. Um, I think it's on your agenda to talk about Vision Zero. I'm a big advocate of Vision Zero and, and a, a rigorous process toward true no harm, uh, zero harm monitoring. That's very big in the industrial areas and I think it applies to uh, roads as well. And then the last thing in terms of benchmarking, um, you know, I have family on, on, on both coasts, that's good and bad, it's expensive on the travel budget, but it is handy to see other communities that are further along this trajectory than, than we are. So one is Berkeley, California, where I was yesterday, another one's Burlington, Vermont, where we have family, and um, they've spent so much money and time <coughs> on this that use their resources and, and uh, um, you know, don't be don't be afraid of it because it's a different city. They've spent so much with consultants and engineers. There's a lot of great data. There's a lot of great reports. There's great process diagrams on their website that are you could actually start with uh, right there. Um, and and when we look at our peer cities. Um, uh, you know, I, one of my facilities operates the recycling uh, 
system for uh, processing Lawrence recycling, and our peer cities are Northern Europe um, and uh, Seattle and Copenhagen. And so when we think about our peer cities uh, in terms of walkability, do we want to compare to my hometown, Kansas City, Kansas? Or do we want to compare to, do we want to say, hey, we want to be Columbia? Probably not. Do we want to be maybe Iowa City or Boulder? I mean, think about the peer cities that we want to be compared to, and uh, that will help inform the, the, the decisions and so forth. Um, and that, that's all I have. Sorry for taking so much time. But, um, and we really appreciate working with the, the city and MMTC on this. No worries. That's kind of why we have you here, because you've been through it. So, <laughs> Gary? I want to make a couple quick points about data and cost. Um, data is crucial, and we need to make sure we don't start a project without data, and then we need to evaluate at the end and do even more data gathering. But there's more than just volume and speed. There's also crash data. It used to be a year ago when we started formulating our pilot proposal, I contacted city staff and they gave me a link to get crash data statewide, and I was able to look at our neighborhood and see how many crashes there had been at every intersection and street in our neighborhood. And I did an analysis, and it was very clear, quickly obvious where all the where all the crashes were. I went today to that same URL, and it's not there anymore. So I, I'm curious about what happened to Kansas crash data, but I think you could make that part of the application process. Have you looked at the crash data? Do you know where the crashes are in your neighborhood? Are they where you think they are? Because we found out they weren't where we thought they were. So that's real critical. And then, and then another thing that, that would be very helpful would be to be able to get individual traffic crash reports from the Lawrence Police Department. Our whole, this, our pilot study started from a pretty bad crash on Crestline and the first thing I wanted to do was see the traffic report, see the crash report. But you can't get one if you're just the president of a neighborhood association. You have to have the license of one of the vehicles involved or the name of one of the people involved. So as president of the neighborhood, I couldn't look at the crash data for that particular crash that started this all off. So, and then it's, it costs money to get copies. You can't get it online. You have to go to the police department and get a paper copy, and it costs you a fee. So if the police department could, could help us out, it would really be very helpful for us. Mm. And one final thing. We saw with what happened in Old West Lawrence, or I think we saw, what happens if you don't get input from enough of the neighborhood to give a consensus. And we have... 200 members in our neighborhood association. We have 1,000 residences, just single family and duplex in our neighborhood. If we wanted to just poll our members with a piece of paper, that would be about $200. If I wanted to go to the entire neighborhood and just have one letter saying, we want to do this program, what do you think? That's a, a, a thousand, uh, what? $1,000 for me to send one letter to everybody in our neighborhood who's in a single or, du or duplex. So we don't have any funds from the city. It's just our $5 a person membership fee, $800 a year. It, it doesn't even start on this kind of an effort. I can send out emails, and that's how we did our gathering of data was with emails. I sent email asking for problems and an email prioritizing. So even if you have an active board of directors or executive committee and a strong leader and a good organization and a strong mailing list, 
if you don't have the money to find out what everybody and get something that everybody can agree on, then you're going to run into the same problem. You're going to put out a pilot proposal, and the whole neighborhood's going to blow up with, you didn't tell me, I didn't hear about this, I don't think this is where the problem is, it's on my street, it's not on his street. So, so it, I think it's really important that before you do anything like this, you make sure you have some kind of consensus in the neighborhood, especially if it's a neighborhood-wide program. If it's just one street, that's less of an issue because you can walk the street and get the input from everybody whose house is on that street. Hmm. I wonder if there's, if there's a chance to maybe, I mean, Budget's always a problem, right? And it sounds like the budget's getting reduced from this year to the next year. Um, I don't know how budget talks happen in terms of asking the city for more money for it and TMP, but it, it seems like there could be a high use for maybe an assistance part of the budget. Like, you know, for neighborhoods that don't have the funds to do what Gary was saying and basically like, get the word out, you know, um, then it's gonna be pretty hard. There's a financial barrier that I, I don't think we've thought about before. Like organizational barrier is one thing, but financial is another entirely, and that's a little bit hard to surmount. So, I mean, I almost wonder if there could be like a pre-application, like, hey, this thing's coming out in two months. If you're interested, but you don't have the funds to mail people or you know have a rent a camera to gather your own data, then you know you can apply for this one thousand dollar kind of short-term grant from the from the budget. And I mean, a thousand out of three hundred thousand is chump change. So. I feel like that may not be a bad idea, but how many grants do you grant, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, but I mean, you could even just say like, all right, well, 10, 10 grants each time that we go around to at least al allow 10 less well-funded neighborhood organizations to at least attempt to compete. And worst case scenario, then they don't get the application in, at least they've now reached out to the membership and that can start conversations for next round, so. Um, I don't know. I think we've already discussed the budget for NTMP for this upcoming year, right? But perhaps that's something that we can try to work in for next year's talks. Nick, can I offer one thing on sure. that, just based on our experience? We've uh, paid for I don't know how many newsletters we've hand-delivered. I don't know how many newsletters in the last two years. <laughs> I've spent a lot of, spent a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, you almost have to get to electronic distribution of information. And I know there's still folks without emails, but maybe that grant, if you if you want to go that route, can be, hey, here's whatever, a few hundred bucks to reimburse the people going out and getting people's emails. But it, mm. if you're going to have rapid communication, it is very expensive, very expensive to do um, emails. I mean, to do mailing and or hand delivering. Mm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Oh, sorry. Uh, who was up first? Can anybody help me? <laughs> Josh. Josh. Okay. Sorry. Uh, from my saying. experience, and that's on, uh, commenting on that. From my experience with uh, Pinkney, it's like we rely heavily on both uh, for uh, a mix between diff for different things between mailing and electronic media to, and different electronic sources just to get information out to our neighborhood because there's so many different ways that we've had to learn to disseminate the information, but also uh, along with our coordinator, being able to be effective at it. Because before it was like we had a, uh, when I, because uh, it was like when I uh, became onto my executive board for my neighborhood association, 
Uh, it was a little bit of a mess, and our coordinator at the time uh, was struggling to catch up. And our, I love our, our current coordinator. She is awesome. And a lot of neighborhoods don't have a coordinator. It makes it pretty hard if you don't have one. I know like four or five do, I think, but it's, it's more the exception than the rule, I would say. Uh, Lisa? I have a question for Dave. Do you have access to crash data? We do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And could you share that with the neighborhoods? We can. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty good, actually. It and has like what kind of crashes they were, right? Yeah. Yeah, and with our, um, as we were working on our Vision Zero safety action plan, I would anticipate uh, us, we're going to be working with a consultant to help develop that, but we're going to be looking at crash data um, to help steer that that plan. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a major component of that, but that, that certainly can be shared. Okay, and you have for all crashes, not just fatalities and serious injuries? Mm -hmm. All crashes that are reported. Yeah. Yep, they get reported, they go through KDOT, and then we, we get those usually a year after. I don't know if we've gotten 2022 yet. I have to check, but sometimes it takes, it's like about a lag of a year or so, but um, mm -hmm. yep. Okay, so how would a neighborhood request that? Um, you could submit an open records request, and then we could put put it together that way. Um, I mean, right now we don't have a process. You know, we mm -hmm. it would it would take staff time to do that, right. um, and so that that would be the best way to do it. I thought it was just a GIS overlay, isn't it? Just it, like it is. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've seen that. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, the reports themselves are not. I don't think you. Not You're anyone not can access know. every report, but if you wanted to see where the crashes are at, yeah, just like the that, base data. That, that is, you can, anyone can get to that just online. Website. Yeah, and, and we can make sure that you get the, you ha have the link or the layer or whatever. Oh, get it. Barry's got to stand up. Yep, thanks. Barry. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, thank you. Um, In terms of like barriers to application, um, we do have a lot of these resources that other neighborhoods don't have. And even so, um, found the RFP process to be a little bit cumbersome in terms of um, what was being requested. Um, part of the problem that I have is that I don't even really know um, what's available in the world of solutions. Like, um, I have heard, and that's of course a problem, Quote, I have heard, so like a lot of stuff is, um, you know, word of mouth in this world. Um, I've heard that the city doesn't really smile upon um, speed bumps as a traffic control device, that that was sort of, you know, oh, that was 10 years ago, but we don't do that now. But yet, um, you know, when I drive down the new 19th Street um, east of Harper, they do have speed bumps. So 
I don't really know. Um, do we do speed bumps or don't we do speed bumps? Um, clearly, like um, the idea that uh, was tried early on in Old West Lawrence of forcing people into uh, turn maneuvers was very unpopular, so I wouldn't even begin to propose something like that. Um, some people love traffic circles, some people hate them. Uh, we got those little islands on Barker Street. I mean, there's like this whole universe of stuff, but I don't know what is, <clears throat> what is passe anymore, what's state of the art. Um, if you're a neighborhood group trying to put something together and get um, community consensus, first you kind of have to really know um, what even are the options. Clearly, um, as others have said, you need data, you need to um, know what the problems are. We've done some of that work. We have anecdotally um, identified certain dangerous intersections and we got the crash data and in fact, yes, those were um, dangerous intersections. So um, that part was not too tough, but the uh, possibilities of solutions is tough and frankly, what happened in Old West Lawrence scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, I don't want to preside over something like that and have the whole neighborhood fighting with each other because we've got too many other things that we need to deal with. I mean, we've got historic preservation, we've got rezoning. Uh, I mean, traffic is like one thing out of a dozen. And um, if we can't fix it, um, at least we don't want it to uh, divide us. Charlie, do you want to comment on that? Because I know you, you lived it. So. Be happy to comment on it. Uh, Safety is not a popularity contest. Uh, when you have near misses, when we talk about data, the real the real data that's hard to get at is near misses. So every near miss is a near near fatality. When you're nearly hit getting in and out of your car, um, when you're nearly hit crossing the road, it's a near fatality. And until we're very, very savvy, we won't have that data. Um, but, uh, you know, things, uh, change is divisive. Any societal change is divisive. And so while we tried some very aggressive devices, um, there were folks, uh, a silent minority that loved them. There was a majority that did not like them. But big change is going to cause some divisiveness. And so uh, it is nice to have consensus. But if I asked everybody about consensus on drunk driving in the 1980s or seatbelts, we wouldn't be where we're at now, right? And so. Uh, it's tough to make change, but sometimes you got to do it. Yeah, and I think part of the problem that we see a lot is that, you know, 
is as walkable as a lot of Lawrence neighborhoods are, we're still a very car-dominated community within a very car-dominated state and society. Most people have only ever known driving to everything or being driven to everything. It's, it's very different to all of a sudden not be allowed to go everywhere or go the speed that you want to go. So I think, you know, as good as the outcomes of the traffic calming pilot may be eventually, I mean, I think we should be all under no illusion that it's going to be hard. It's good. Even if you have consensus, even if you have an active neighborhood association and a traffic safety committee, it's going to be hard because a lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork with something that they've never cared about that all of a sudden affects them and even the slightest inconvenience will become a battle flag. So, um, yeah, Phil. Well, I guess in East Lawrence kind of went for a piecemeal approach and I think Barry uh, mentioned that and we collected traffic data and we gave it to the city and I guess throughout those discussions I never got the I never heard the city say well we have access to traffic data and so if the city has traffic to accident data and we're trying to reduce accidents then the city's sitting in a position where they can do some analysis broadly of where are the corners that are getting all of the accidents and push those and, and instead of why wait for somebody to complain about it? If you know that there's been 15 accidents at this one intersection, why wouldn't the city be pursuing something there and notifying a neighborhood, hey, we've noticed you got, you've had 12 accidents at that certain intersection and we think we can do some things that'll make it be better. Why, you know, yeah, I, and I'm and I'm surprised after all of our interactions that there are there's a neighborhood traffic reporting tool or something like that where and we reported a number of things and I never got feedback that there was something built into the city that we could have been using and uh, yeah so I, yeah I know uh, uh, my neighborhood's been. Uh, I'm on and, I'm, and I know that I'm aware that other neighbors too have been reporting onto a lot of wherever we can just on problem areas but it just always seems like there's rarely very 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 rarely any response from city uh, from the city and back to and that maybe that's something that would be a good thing to kind of help the neighborhoods be able to kind of be aware if there's something that they're not seeing to be able to start a process with the city to take steps to be able to either reduce it or somehow eliminate an issue. Okay. Uh, Holly? Yeah. Um, very quickly, I just am sitting here thinking how with Schwegler, the only traffic calming that has been installed was because of the bike boulevard. So that came in. Um, we never really had neighborhood meetings with regard to what they were doing. It's just this is what is happening. So that is two thoughts, one of which is a speed hump was installed, it's right in front of my house, which upon leaving, I asked the concrete company, I asked them, are you adding more? Is there a second you know, um, step to this? And he said, no, and he drove off. And everyone, you know, it's, it's a joke in my neighborhood because it does not slow anybody down. It was not a height that was supposed to be and so therefore it doesn't do anything. But my point of that is because on, on 
with this whole project, this changed the traffic flow in the neighborhood. Um, so we've kind of been just dealing with and, and working with this. And I look back and think, you know, this again is a situation where all of this is not in the best interest because we do have an elementary school. We border KU. And we have now, because of the bike boulevard, people are just using other streets to go pick up their kids. We, we have actually a lot more issues. So I think that, you know, there's um, maybe is, it, it is that things get installed and then we need to revisit or follow up. Because in our case, we are kind of at a crossroads as to, you know, how do we go about, you know, other streets that are having problems? We now have the um, the crossing 21st Street coming in, which is all fine. But I think, you know, if a neighborhood does this pilot, other things can change that change what goes on in your neighborhood with traffic. Yeah. I think that kind of speaks to why the holistic approach is so important. Because if you only do a single street, then you can have spillover effects that maybe weren't a part of the study. So, Gary? I'm going to encourage you to think a little bit more about a two-step process. Um, yeah. A preliminary application. And then if you get through the first preliminary application, then the city will help you, if necessary, to reach consensus in your neighborhood about what needs to be done and they can also help you gather data on those areas that your neighborhood decides are important. Now you have some kind of uh, significant portion of the neighborhood that, that agrees with you and you have volume and, and uh, speed data. And then you're ready for a formal application and the formal application now has support from a significant portion of the neighborhood backed up by good data. So I, I think as long as it's just a one-step process where you're applying for something that is going to be awarded and done, that's, that's hmm. problematic. It's an interesting idea. And as an engineer who goes through these things with cities in terms of contracts and proposals and requests for information, um, something I've been seeing uh, recently is something called the, the uh, Request for Expression of Interest, which is really clunky. But it's almost like a pre-RFP, pre-RFQ. Michael? <clears throat> and soon, by the way, I think we're going to cap it here and move to public comment after this. So, I just want to um, support what Gary just offered there. Um, from what I'm hearing, it seems like, and I would agree, that as far as the neighborhood members, uh, residents, we don't have the expertise, you know, the, the technical knowledge, the understanding of what devices are available, first of all, and that the city endorses, or the capability of those devices and how well they work, in what locations, come up with specific sites and overall design. Neighborhoods don't have that expertise, whereas staff does. And that's, I think, what Gary's getting at, that if you have a preliminary application, because what we are good at is identifying a problem. Say, what can we do? And so that's where staff can help to lay out what the options are, to help understand and provide the data, for instance, like the crash data, and then understand uh, options for control devices. So I would, I would definitely agree with what Gary was proposing there. Can I, can I offer one comment? I, I, uh, just real quick. City staff, and maybe even JEO, did a fantastic job on 
day one uh, with a, a complete PowerPoint. It was right in the middle of COVID, so everybody was 100% virtual. Mm -hmm. Laying out, I think, all of the, um, you know, all of the devices mm -hmm. and, and a snippet of information on decreased speeds and so forth. I don't know if we had any budget uh, uh, on it, but um, they did a great job, a good job on that. Yeah, I think that's something that we need to put out more publicly. I know we presented it, but it needs to be part of our, you know, our toolbox that we present of options. Yeah. Burlington, Vermont's got it all ready for you. <laughs> cool. Um, so this time we're running out of time for a study session, but I would like to make sure we have some time for public comment. Let's start with online because we usually start with people in person. So would anybody on the on the call wish to make a public comment about the study session? And just general rules apply, it's uh, three minutes, and then we gotta cut you off, unfortunately. All right, I don't see any hands raised, so let's go to the room. Would anybody in the room like to make a public comment? Um, about an issue or about the uh, traffic? So um, at this time, only for traffic, uh, neighborhood traffic management program, but later we're gonna have a general public comment as well. And there is somebody online. JT, you're up. <coughs> you, you can see my chat. Thank you. Mm, I cannot. I just said he was going to raise it up directly with Wayne. OK, sounds good. What All was right, the chat? <coughs> he was just raised the issue directly with Wayne, not today with us. OK, yep. Uh, hi, I'm Eric Kirkendall, 714 Mississippi. and I been involved with this project since the inception. I um, want to preface by saying my lessons learned are not necessarily criticism of anybody. Our neighborhood was the first neighborhood to go through this, so we're all learning. Um, I have three fairly quick suggestions, three lessons learned. Earlier notification of neighborhoods. Uh, we had notification really late and didn't have much time to, our, our neighborhood group didn't have much time to talk. More involvement directed, run by the city, with neighbors throughout the process. We tried to do a lot as a team. I think in many cases we would have been better off with trained traffic engineers there. Um, and also, for the city, be open to national standards and best practices. Um, We've had one particular, we're real happy with the support we've gotten. People have worked really hard, but um, you can go to any city in the US that, that is fairly advanced about, about being safe and building safe traffic patterns, et cetera. You'll see lots of signage in, in, in uh, neighborhood traffic circles like, like they're building for us and elsewhere. And we haven't been allowed to do that. And most cities do, and I think Lawrence should consider looking at national standards and trying to keep up with where the world is going. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. Okay, so just to wrap up, I'm trying to synthesize a couple of disparate threads that I think are all kind of coalescing. Oh, sorry. Another public comment? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Kyle, do you want to come up? Six or five, anyway. Yeah, thanks. Very good. Sure. <clears throat> um, let's see there, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I just popped in. Um, and I assume this is just public comment about study session. Yep. Uh, about informing the, the yeah. Yeah. The just neighborhood general traffic. neighborhood traffic management plan. Cool. Um, so I think you know, and I 
like the rest of the team uh, from Old West Lawrence, I'm on the Old West Lawrence uh, traffic safety team. Uh, 705 Main, Kyle Johnson. Um, you know, I'm happy with where things have ended up and appreciate everybody's, you know, um, time and attention uh, to the matter and, and, and thanks for the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, I think if we had to do it all over again, this could be so much easier. <laughs> um, and, I, and, and a lot of that stems from probably just a documented change management plan and communication plan, and maybe um, not relying as much on the, the neighbors to do so much work, especially in the way of communication. Um, because every neighborhood association is going to be different. Um, and my guess is if you'd continued to rely on the neighborhood association so much, it will probably be a, a new, dis new disaster every time. <laughs> Um, now, maybe some neighborhood association, maybe if we worked with them and we said, okay, look, this is exactly how you have to do it, um, and they followed that plan, um, it, might be, it might be less bumpy. But, um, it, you know, I think probably what happened uh, in retrospect is some people in the neighborhood, you know, we're not a small neighborhood, but we're not a huge neighborhood. Some people in the neighborhood had specific issues and those got, those got brought, uh, brought up, but maybe other people in the neighborhood had, had different issues. Like I didn't even know that it was a thing until the devices went in. Um, so a lot more time and attention up front and, and then subsequently I joined the team, right? There was kind of an uproar. Um, I was part of the uproar, um, but then I joined the team and then over a period of months, we, you know, weeks and months, we came together and we figured it out as, as a neighborhood. And so again, I'm, I'm thankful for, for your help and for the, the other members on the team. Uh, their help as well and, and their contributions and kind of blending everybody's ideas together. However, if we could do this again, I, I would suggest that a lot of time and attention gets placed on making sure that you have a large and representative group of people on on such a body so that you identify issues before they become issues. <laughs> um, and in fact, the Old West Lawrence Association is now, like we just had a meeting yesterday to talk about bylaws changes. And so one thing that I'm gonna be recommending probably in that is that when we have special, what I'm calling special advisory groups, that we make sure that any project that gets tackled has a, kind of a large diverse crowd on it so that everybody is contributing ideas early in the process uh, before it becomes um, a bit more dramatic than we'd like it to be. 
So I think that's number one is just the recruitment of a larger uh, crowd of people to inform decision-making process. And number two, lean on the group for the, for the deliberations internally, but not so heavily on the communication. And I would argue that at each stage in the process, a public meeting should probably be had. Uh, because otherwise, the finger pointing starts about, well, I didn't know. Um, and that's when things really get sideways, is when somebody feels like they didn't know. Um, and, and so even this, we're, we're going to have another upcoming meeting. And, you know, I think that's important. So there's a design now. Time, got to wrap it up. All right. <laughs> um, uh, last thing I'll say. So there's a, a design now I, you know, advocated for like, hey, we need to present the design to people before we pour the concrete. So just having a public meeting at every step of the way to make sure that people feel like they've been brought along with the process, I think that just lowers the temperature significantly. Mm -hmm. So that's all I got. Thank Thanks. Do we have any other public commenters in the room about the neighborhood traffic management program study session? All right. Okay. Hello, my name's Rod Hofer. Um, I've lived in Old West Lawrence for 42 years. And um, uh, I too found out about this plan when I noticed that I was barricaded from getting to my house by the traffic plan that had been imposed on the neighborhood. Um, if I'm 100 feet from my house at 8th and Indiana, um, according to the plan, I would have to drive 12 blocks to get to the front of my house because the barricades all allowed only right turns, and so you're driving around in circles. Um, part of the issue was a little bitter for me because uh, um, my wife was under hospice care. Uh, we had 21 healthcare workers come every week, and many of them parked um, away from our house because they couldn't get to it because the plan was just um, uh, totally ineffective. It blockaded people. Uh, eventually, people just learned that what you needed to do was to make right turns up, or make left turns up right turn barriers, jump the barriers, go down alleys, make U-turns. Uh, 300 violations a day is what uh, was the minimum we estimated that that initial plan caused. Uh, so that's, that's the initial part. That's when I got involved. Um, and I must say that uh, uh, the committee, even though uh, it had very dispurgent ideas of what should be done, all the way from blockading the neighborhood to uh, uh, loosening it up. I believe that we came to a consensus uh, of a plan that really works uh, and let, does allow people into the neighborhood. I mean, we have all kinds of vendors coming in, lawn people, air conditioning people, roofing, carpenters. Um, and they're basically considered uh, um, cross-neighborhood traffic because they aren't, they aren't from there. Um, and the same thing uh, applies to numerous other people like my, my healthcare workers. So the plan that we came up with um, definitely slows down traffic. And um, in fact, all three of the major components, that's their primary function. Um, and I, that worked very well. 
So um, without belaboring the point, um, I was very dissatisfied with the initial attempts, but satisfied with the ultimate results of um, working with the, uh, the group. Thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Okay, so we're at the end of our time. Um, I'd just like to wrap up to try to wrap up a conclusion that I, I think I've come to and um, push back on this if I'm totally off base, but it sounds like, um, generally speaking, the application process could use some improvement, possibly through some kind of screening, pre-proposal, pre-request for information sort of thing, and also with a bit of a package of information and resources included with that initial announcement, such as Gary was asking or brought up the idea of uh, funding assistance for communication and data collection. Josh brought up the technical assistance for the application itself. Charlie, you talked about lessons learned in a process map that you know perhaps Olvis Lawrence could help contribute to that. Uh, uh, Lisa, you brought up the idea of crash data, reported traffic issues, just data that's already available. And Barry brought up just the information on available calming measures. Um, so I feel like even just starting with those five could be kind of a cool, like, here's five things that you really got to know before starting that could help you out in crafting an application, even just a expression of interest. Um, what I want to do, Dave, is probably get this on the agenda for soon, so we can talk about that offline. But I think we have more to, ham to hammer out kind of get there. So um, that's pretty much all I have. So special thanks to Gary for working behind the scenes to help me organize everybody. Um, so it was a lot easier with your help. And thank you for everybody who showed up. This was a great crowd. If we want to do another one of these in the future, I think we do have a couple of free study sessions for the rest of the year. So we can maybe talk in LAN or something offline. But if there's... I, I think that would be a good idea. Okay. If there's interest in continuing, yeah, we can certainly do that. Possibly after we've had our initial discussion at MMTC to kind of figure out what's doable. Um, and we can maybe bring back a plan for an update. So yeah, uh, thanks everybody for attending and Thank that's you. it for study session. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It might be it for the meeting too because we only have people, so. Might be it. <laughs> oh no. She, she was to the, the, uh, the regular agenda portion of the August 7th Multimodal Transportation Commission meeting. Unfortunately, we do not have a quorum. We only have four out of our nine commit or eight commissioners. So, unfortunately, we have to cancel this month's meeting. I don't know if we need to do any official motion to do so, but no, but unfortunately, no official motion. But we will defer all of the items that were on tonight's agenda to the September meeting. That's correct. So, anyway, that gives but, everybody a good month to study the budget in the meantime. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, otherwise, we will adjourn for tonight and we'll meet next month. Right. So, we'll see you later. <laughs> That's it. Uh,